This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how to maintain bone density naturally with Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll discover the importance of boundaries with author Melissa Urban. We'll learn about your glymphatic system with Dr. David Nelson, ND. And lastly, we'll find out the benefits of hybrid yoga with local yogi Jelena Da Silva. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. The answer to a relatively concise question, how does what we eat affect how we age, is unavoidably complex, according to a new study out of Columbia. While most analysis have been concerned with the effects of single nutrient on a single outcome, a conventional, unidimensional approach to understanding the effects of diet on health and aging no longer provides us with the full picture. Healthy diet needs to be considered based on the balance of ensembles of nutrients, rather than by optimizing a series of nutrients one at a time. It may be the most baffling quirk of COVID. What manifests as minor flu-like symptoms in some individuals spirals into severe disease, disability, and even death in others. A new paper published in Nature may explain the genetic underpinnings of this dichotomy. A retrospective analysis suggests that patients with variants of a gene called APO, A-P-O-E, were more likely to have died of COVID throughout the pandemic. 3% of the world's population possesses these variants, so the findings may have implications for hundreds of millions of individuals around the world. Smartphone users will be disappointed if they expect their devices and social media to fill their need for purpose and meaning. In fact, it'll probably do the opposite. Researchers determined in a new study. That study out of Baylor University concluded that smartphone attachment could be anomogenic, causing a breakdown in social values because of the unstructured and limitless options they provide for seeking meaning and purpose and inadvertently exacerbate feelings of despair while simultaneously promising to resolve them. Seeking itself becomes the only meaningful activity, which is the basis of anime and addiction. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. 
Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you doing? Great, Jamie. I can't believe it. It's been a month now since the last time we spoke. It has. Amazing how time flies. It's amazing. And last time we spoke, we were talking about our kids, and we were focusing on that generation, but we're shifting our focus to the other end of the continuum, right? Yeah. You know what it is? I think, you know how people say, as you get older, time flies? Yeah. I really believe it does happen because as we are talking about earlier on, it's amazing how time flies. It's, just, it's been a month already. It's crazy. You know, I sometimes lose track of time and I think that the years are, are moving faster. You know, when you're a kid, you know, a year seems like it's forever. And now a year seems like it's a blink of an eye. For sure. And as we get older, we have different issues to deal with. Right. So, you know, for me, my focus is about getting a good night's sleep and maintaining strength. But I'm also starting to think about strong bones and how it fits into the big picture, right? Yeah, as we get older, men and women, we need strong bones. More so women than men. Men seem to have less osteoporosis than women. But as we get older, men, the osteoporosis takes a little bit longer to kick in. But it does happen. I mean, as you look around you, you see older people, older guys, they get skinnier, their bones seem to be more brittle. It's one of the biggest things amongst older people is that breakage of bones, etc. Right? Yeah, particularly the hip, right? Like if you break your hip. And I wish I could say there's a magic bullet. You say, take this one thing and and it stops breakage of bones. But it doesn't seem. Even medications out there don't do it. Your best you can do is to try to help fighting a losing battle and you inhibit the bone loss prevention. Right. right? One of the ways that we, we do prevention is by supplying minerals. Now, Back in the day, everybody just thinks of two things, calcium and vitamin D, mm-hmm. right? And the, the idea is that the, the calcium is the major mineral in the bone. So if you increase your calcium intake um, with vitamin D, vitamin D helps with the absorption and utilization of calcium, you're good to go. But as I've always said to everybody, there's no one single magic bullet. Mm-hmm. Because when people take calcium, etc. You have to remember something. It's just one ingredient in the mix. You need to take things like zinc, copper, manganese, all those different types of minerals get embedded in what's called a bone matrix. And it helps build a bone structure to give you a better bone, meaning something that's stronger, right? And if you don't take those other things with it, the calcium, yes, it gets into it, but your bones are still brittle. So this is why you need some of these other things. Now, Even after you take all those things, you still need B vitamins because one of the things that the B vitamins do is that it powers the biochemistry to increase the absorption and the utilization because these are all enzymatic reactions, right? And you remember our good buddy ATP powers these type of conversions. So if you don't take your B vitamins, et cetera, you're not optimizing your intake, Right. right. And, and that's really the issue as we get older, right? Our body's ability to absorb the calcium to build our bones. That's right. It, it's not as efficient as when we're younger, right? That's right. But again, as we get older, one of the things we don't do, we don't eat as well. Right. So again, your protein intake drops. 
And one of the things that we need protein for as we get older is you need proteins to make antibodies, right? So it, it works on the immune system. You need protein to help build that bone matrix because, you know, you need protein for the enzymes, etc. And that bone matrix is not only the bone. You have to have the ligaments, etc. And you have to strengthen the ligaments, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. You need that protein intake. So you need to increase your protein intake. Now, usually if, if I was in my 20s, it means, well, I'll sit down and, and hoover down another steak or right. hoover down a chicken breast. Right. But as we grow older, one of the things is, I don't know about you, I, I find, I personally, back in the day, I would go to the buffet, I can eat three plates of food, I still have room for dessert. Today, yeah. if I do do that, I get one plate of food, and I can barely finish the one plate. So I know the, the amount of protein I'm consuming, etc., is all decreasing. Gordon, I'm the outlier that proves the rule. <laughs> I can still eat with the best of them, and I, and I love food. I mean, that's, it's a yin-yang thing, right? Like, I, I eat well. Obviously, then, it may, you know, I'm the type of person that has to watch his weight. It's still an issue for me. You're still a young man. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I'm not sure I am anymore, but thank you. <laughs> but I hear you. I mean, I, I used to, particularly you mentioned protein, and I agree with you. I used to be able to eat like, you know, a lot of steak and I still love steak, but I find, you know, I, I eat maybe two thirds of what I used to be able to eat and I'm full. I don't need it anymore. So this is why one of the things as a food nutrition wise, one of the things I like to tell people is to add protein to whatever it is you're doing. You're making a pancake in the morning, a scoop of protein. That's wonders. It increases your protein intake, right? Protein from whey or milk sources tend to be easily absorbed. Protein from eggs are also easily absorbed, Mm -hmm. okay? So you put an extra egg in your pancake. It does wonders for it, right? It It just increases your ability to absorb. As we get older too, we find that we have less energy. Yep. And usually we have less energy because we're not consuming enough, you know, our biochemistry is changing, etc. One of the ways of helping with energy is adaptogen. Mm-hmm. So you take your things like your ginseng, you take your things like your ashwagandha. There's a whole bunch of different energy-giving herbs. We have a particular product that we call Endura Strength, which especially formulated for that type of issue. But the nice thing about adaptogens is it also helps with cognition, mm-hmm. right? These are some of the things that as we get older, it becomes an issue. As we get older, right, one of the things I know people talk about is the ability to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. right? You need to increase your intake of fiber. Now, all fiber is not the same. There's soluble fiber, insoluble fiber. Mm-hmm. A soluble fiber is good because one of the things a soluble fiber does is it helps it absorbs toxins and it decreases the amount of toxins that the body will absorb on a day-to-day basis. Fiber is also good because it decreases transit time, so meaning that it'll help increase the frequency of ball movement, which is also good because it decreases the amount of time toxins are in contact with gastrointestinal tracts so and inhibits toxin absorption. Okay. Right? So these are all some of the things that I would strongly advise people to do. But as I've always said to you, my mantra is that there's not one single magic bullet. No, it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. So things like, I mean, omega-3 fatty acid, that's an also good thing. Yep. As we get older, antioxidants seem to be more important. 
So you increase your intake in fruits and vegetables, but if you can't increase the intake of fruits and vegetables, you can take an antioxidant product. And these things are good for you because if you believe in the free radical theory of disease, every single disease known to man is either initiated by a free radical or is potentiated by a free radical, meaning that it's made worse by free radicals. Yep. So even things like down to things like cancer, etc., it's usually initiated by free radicals. So if you take more antioxidants, you can inhibit your incidences of cancer. Now, I'm not going to tell you that taking antioxidants will cure cancers or stop you from getting cancer, mm-hmm. but it's all about prevention. It helps inhibit the incidences of cancer. Right. And it's just not me saying that. If you look at any of the medical literature, they always say more fruits and vegetables, more antioxidants. Yeah. And also, you know, there are things that we can do. There are lifestyle choices we can make that I think help as we get older as well. Right. Exercise. Exercise is definitely one of the ones that we should go down that pathway with. And it's not just any exercise, right? Like like weight bearing exercise is very relevant, particularly with bone health. But also, you know, mobility and balance are issues that mm-hmm. come up as we get older as well, right? Yeah, and we have to talk about hormonal health also mm-hmm. because with women, as they get older, they lose the protection of the progesterone and the estrogens, right, in their system. And there's major changes in hormonal balances. For mm-hmm. men, your testosterone levels drop. So it's a good idea to try and take things that will help supplement that. Now, unfortunately, there's nothing that can say you take this and you replace it and you'll be the same, you have the same hormonal levels as you had when you were in your 20s. You know, there's nothing out there, not even the medications, because there's other issues if you try to supplement too much with the pharmaceuticals. But there are things that you can do to help balance it out, to help up it a little bit, but not to the point where it becomes dangerous, mm-hmm. right? So there are things like you can, for women, there are things like Dong Kwai, some of the herbs that people use. But I usually like to recommend a blend of the different herbs because in my mind, I always say there's not one path to the top of the mountain. The more paths you have to the top of the mountain, the better off you are. Okay. So sticking with supplementation for a moment, do you have any advice on on label reading so that like when people are going out to make their decisions as to, for example, you know, what minerals to get in a multivitamin or or such, you know, that they can have a little bit of guidance? My simple thing to tell everybody, if you're going to go look for minerals, don't buy one single mineral. Try to get something that has a wide variety of minerals, because I've always said there's no single one single magic bullet. Mm-hmm. Right. You need to get as wide a variety as you can. So if you take your minerals, you get your calcium, your magnesium, but don't stop there. Think of things like zinc, copper, manganese, silicon, right? selenium. Mm-hmm. All those things are important. But usually when people think of minerals, they stop at calcium and magnesium. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's all they buy. Right? But if you have all those other things, it helps. Right? If you're taking a vitamin product, right, a single multivitamin is good but if you take something with a large variety and you also have to look at quantity right right because multivitamins are good in that you get a little bit of everything but let's face it let's say i have scurvy today okay scurvy usually means i don't have enough vitamin c in my system right so if i take a multivite the amount of vitamin c i get in there is going to be is not enough to treat scurvy all right Mm -hmm. so i would need to take higher doses of vitamin c however 
if I am your normal North American who eats well, exercises, etc., I can get away by just taking a regular multivite. So again, it has to be dependent on your nutritional status. Right, and I, I'm presuming, you know, like if you're seeing a practitioner, a health practitioner regularly, and you're getting blood screens taken, like you can identify which minerals you're deficient in, for example, like an iron deficiency or, that's or, right. or calcium or magnesium or whatever, right? Well, you, that, that's pretty recognizable, yeah. is it not? Now, the nice thing about a lot of the vitamins that we take, yeah. if you take too much of it, it's not a problem because a lot of the water-soluble vitamins, just you, you just eliminate that in your urine or in your stool. Right. right. Mm-hmm. The downside to it is that if you're eliminating it, that means you're wasting it. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. The upside to that is that if you're not eliminating it, your body needs it, so you're optimizing it. Right. And unfortunately, there's no magic test to say how much you need and how much you don't need because there's something called the RDA, which is uh, recommended daily allowance. Right. Now that's based on Joe Average, who doesn't exist. Right. right yeah. It's also based on how much you eliminate, but if you exercise more, you burn up a lot more of these vitamins, right? So if you take sure. the RDA and you, you work out a lot, you're going to need more. So RDA is not sufficient for a lot of people. And for optimal health, usually most people take more than the RDA. Good advice, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me on again. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. For more information about his business, visit omegaalpha.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. If you're like me, you love delicious and nutritious foods. You need to know what's new in health and wellness, and you're looking for something fun to do. Why not visit The Tonic Marketplace at The Zoomer Show on October 29th and 30th? It's a specially curated area that has all your favorite health and wellness brands like Kalaya and Yosos. Free samples, tons of giveaways, lots of fun. See you at The Tonic Marketplace. For more information, visit zoomershow.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Melissa Urban is the co-founder and CEO of Whole30 and an authority on helping people create lifelong healthy habits. She's a six-time New York Times bestselling author, including the number one bestseller, The Whole30, and has been featured by People, Good Morning America, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and CNBC. She lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the show, Melissa. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're going to discuss the importance of boundaries, and we're not talking about property boundaries here, right? We're talking about personal boundaries, right? That's correct. We are, although there are some similarities. Yeah, there really are. So what is a boundary? How do you mean it? And why do you think they're so important? Yeah, so I describe boundaries as healthy limits that you set 
around how other people are allowed to engage with you. So you can kind of think about it like a fence along a property. Anything you allow inside the fence is because it feels good and safe and healthy and makes your relationship better. And anything that doesn't feel good or doesn't feel safe or doesn't feel healthy, it feels harmful, you keep outside of that fence. Boundaries are such an important way to preserve our time, energy, capacity, mental health, money, sense of safety and physical space. And without them, we tend to feel anxious, resentful, frustrated, burned out and overwhelmed. So you mentioned in the book that boundaries literally help save your life. What do you mean by that? Yeah, they did. So I am also a recovering drug addict. I've been in recovery for 22 years. And the first boundary I ever set was sitting at a party that I shouldn't have been at in my recovery with people I didn't know doing God knows what in the bathroom and realizing that this was not a safe place for me and I could not be there. And out of sheer desperation and preservation of my sobriety sobriety and, and my recovery, I said to my friend, I can't be here. This is not a good environment for me. I don't feel safe. I have to leave. And that was the first time I ever remember advocating for myself, even in my own recovery. And that boundary literally set off a chain reaction of other boundaries I would set in my life that would protect not only my health and my recovery, but would allow me to go on to, you know, be healthier than I'd ever been to found my business and ultimately to write this book. Hmm. So what are some of the misconceptions that you hear people say about boundaries? So I bet when I say the word boundary, your listeners right now are just feeling something kind of icky. It makes them uncomfortable. And I think it's because people often think about boundaries as controlling or manipulative, that they're meant to keep other people at a distance or tell other people what to do. And I'm happy to say that that is not the case at all. Boundaries don't tell other people what to do. You can't control their behavior. Boundaries tell people what you will do, the actions you will take to keep yourself safe and healthy. So I think that reframe is so important so that people can realize that they don't have to feel guilty or bad about saying to someone else, hey, I have this healthy limit. And I'm going to communicate that to you in the spirit of an invitation. If you can meet me in this limit, our relationship can be free and open, trusting, without anxiety, without resentment. And if you're unable or unwilling to meet this limit, I'm going to take responsibility for my own feelings and needs and take the action I need to make sure that I keep myself safe and healthy. Okay, let's talk about the practicalities of boundaries. What are some of the strategies that one can use to hold a boundary? Yeah. So setting the boundary is just the first step, right? You then have to hold it. And as a parent, the very first parenting lesson I learned was don't ever impose a consequence that you're not willing to enforce. So I say the same thing with boundaries. And the reason that my boundary language has three different options. I have a green boundary, a yellow boundary, and a red boundary, escalating in directness and severity. Because if someone oversteps your limit, say they drop by without calling and you wish that they would call, you don't want to slam the door in their face and say, we're never speaking again. You overcrossed my limit. Instead, you want to say, oh, here is the limit that I would like to share with you. Please call before coming by and extend them an invitation to meet that. So I think one of the strategies for holding a boundary is thinking about the limit you need to set in the first place. Maybe it's not that you need to cut off relations with this person or never speak to them again or quit your job. Maybe there are 
interim boundaries you can set around, please don't call me after hours or on the weekends unless it's an emergency, or please call before you come over, that would allow your relationship to continue in a way that doesn't feel quite so dramatic. That sounds to me like it's really about communication. And I find that people struggle with communication. Like I communicate for a living, you do as well. For us, it might be easy to sort of communicate those thoughts. But, you know, you are explaining limits to other people, right? So that could be a bit of a challenge, I would imagine. It is. And I have to tell you that one of the most common questions I got from people when I would talk to them about boundaries around food, around alcohol, around in-laws, around, you know, coworkers or nosy neighbors, they would say, okay, I understand why it's important. I know that I need to set this limit, but how do I say it? And that's why I included 130 different scripts in my book, because I am a very clear and kind communicator, and I don't have a hard time expressing my needs directly, and I realize that so many people do. So, you know, I I include scripts, and I want people to practice. The more you practice saying, please call before I'm coming over, or please put that cigarette out, I don't allow smoking in my house, or no, thank you, I'm not drinking right now, the more natural and organic it feels. Okay. So what happens if you get pushback, right? Like, so you've expressed a boundary and somebody's not respecting that. What do you do? Yeah. So this is the part where you have to remember that boundaries can't tell other people what to do. They only tell them what you will do. So if I say to my friend, no, thanks, I'm not drinking right now. And they continue to peer pressure me to have a drink. Holding the boundary looks like maybe issuing them a reminder like, hey, I've said no twice. And I feel like that's clear enough. Please stop asking. And if they continue to pressure, then I have to actually hold the boundary, which is remove myself from the situation. I might say, look, this doesn't feel fun anymore. I'm going to head out. Or this conversation is like not okay with me. I'm going to go talk to someone else. In the face of pushback, you have to remember, A, you are not responsible for managing that person's feelings in response to your boundary. They may be frustrated that you're not having a drink with them, but that's not your problem. Your responsibility is how can I hold this boundary to keep myself safe and healthy and honestly to preserve the relationship because I don't want to blow up at my friend if they've had a few and they're being really peer pressure Instead, I remove myself and the next day I say, hey, what happened last night was not cool. Let's not like make sure that happens again. Do you ever concern yourself with the motivations of somebody who's, you know, creating all that pushback? Like, does it matter? Mm, you know what? It is not your business to try to determine whether other people's requests are a healthy boundary or a manipulation tactic, because honestly, they can sound the same. Right. If I'm hanging out with you and you're like, oh, please put out that cigarette, is that a healthy boundary for you because you don't like the way cigarette smoke smells? Or is that manipulative because you wish that I would quit smoking because you think it's really unhealthy for me? Now, I don't smoke, but the point is, I would look for patterns in friends' behavior or family members' behavior such that if the only time they set a boundary with you is in response to you setting one with them, or if their behavior isn't actually a boundary, it's a punishment. Like, instead of saying, I don't have capacity to talk about this right now, can you call me in an hour? They just give you the silent treatment for three days. That's a red flag that this is not a healthy communication pattern. That makes sense. So there's a TV show that is actually created in Toronto called What We Do in the Shadows. And Mm. one of the characters is an energy vampire. And I know what it means creatively, but you use that term as well. So I want to know what they are. What do you think they are? And how do you set a boundary with one? 
I do. I love that show and I love that phrase. So energy vampires are people who just, and I know as soon as I say the phrase, you're going to be like, oh, I know someone like this. They just seem to suck your energy dry just by being in their presence. Maybe they are always complaining, always complaining, asking you for advice, never taking it, and always talking about the same problems. Maybe they are such a drama person. They're always involved in conflict, always involved in drama, and they say, oh, I hate all this drama, but you know that they don't. You know, maybe they're a controlling person, always trying to tell you what to do or always having to be right or always one-upping you. Whatever their behavior is, it's the person that you are avoiding, dreading. You go out of your way not to engage with them because you know when you leave, you're just going to feel worse. And that's a red flag that a boundary is needed in that relationship. What do you do if if your energy vampire is like a close family member? That's a hard one. I know it's really hard. You know, again, your option is not either you allow them to suck your energy dry or you cut them off entirely. If it's your mom or your sister, maybe you set a boundary around certain conversation topics like, hey, mom, we're always talking about how difficult your work is, but you haven't implemented any of the last three things that we talked about. So why don't you go do that and let me know how it goes? In the meantime, I would love to tell you about my last trip to the national park. So you can set boundaries around conversation topics or the way that you engage or where you engage or maybe even how you communicate to try to improve that relationship and preserve your energy. Hmm. Do you have a relationship golden rule? I'd be interested to hear it if you did. I do. I talk about this. Yes. My relationship golden rule, and this is so important for romantic partnerships, but also in all relationships, is say what you mean and trust your partner to do the same. So what it avoids is this conversation. Your partner saying, hey, can I go out and have a couple drinks after work tonight? And you like, I cannot believe you're asking to go out. Don't you know how much we have to do? I'm so busy. I'm so tired with the kids. And you go, sure. And then your partner goes out and comes home to you seething and frustrated and angry. And they're confused because you said, sure. And now your relationship is like in a really tumultuous place. Say what you mean. Is it okay if I go out tonight? You know what? Tonight is a really bad night for you to be out. I need help with this, this, and this. Could you stay home? Or, you know what? Yeah, I thought about it. And could you go out but maybe, like, come home by 8? That way you could help me with the bedtime routine. And when the person says yes, now they go out and they're not worried that they're going to come home to a fight that they weren't prepared for. Fantastic advice. If people want to learn more about your writing, where should they go? Yeah, my website is melissau.com. That's where you can find all the information on the book. I put out a weekly newsletter that I write fresh every week called XOMU. And I do a lot on Instagram at melissau and TikTok at melissa underscore you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss the glymphatic system on The Tonic. Your family's health and wellness needs should come first. These days, taking care of a loved one should be as easy as ordering goods and groceries to your door on your smartphone. You need MedWorks, an at-home service that pulls it all together. We make health care and wellness services easy to navigate. MedWorks, at home your way every day. Download the app today. MedWorks. Lack of magnesium can lead to serious health issues. Sadly, one in three Canadians aren't getting enough. Common signs include trouble sleeping, low concentration, irritability, headaches, muscle cramps, or spasms. 
Could you be lacking? Choose from New Roots Herbal's Ultra Gentle Magnesium Bisglycinate, Heart Mag for added cardiac support, or Clarity Mag, a no-brainer for anyone over 50, exclusively at health food stores. To find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health food retail and wellness service business owner. He's written numerous academic articles, and his latest establishes the importance of acid-alkaline balance of the foods we eat. And he lives in Woodstock with his family, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, David. How are you? Good, Jamie. How are you doing today? Good, because I like for the first time in ages, I got a, a reasonably good night's sleep last night. That's good. I think we'll talk about that later, too. <laughs> yeah, that's why I raise it, because I think today's subject <laughs> yeah. kind of ties in nicely. You know, I've been in health and wellness since 2007, and mm. what we're going to talk about today is something that really had not registered with me at all. I just kind of came across it in my readings, and I thought everybody would like to hear about it. And I thought, if I haven't heard about it, it means we need to bring David in. So yeah. here yeah. you are. So what is the glymphatic system, and what does yeah. it do? That's a great question. What I love about science, specifically, is that it always tries to improve what it thinks it knows about any particular thing. So let me do a little background, and then we always wondered if the brain was immunologically separated from the body. And up until 2012, that was the predominant idea in neurology and anatomy and physiology. In 2012, a researcher at the University of Rochester uh, his name was Niedergaard, he actually put together a paper showing that the brain does manage waste and it does export out of the body. And that he called the glymphatic system. And let me break that word down just for the listeners. Glial is where the GL part comes from. That's a type of cell in the brain. And then it's a marriage of that to lymphatic, which is where our immune system is normally. So it's glial cells and the lymphatic system in the brain. And that's waste management in the brain. That's, that's the glymphatic system. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing the way it works, right? Because it piggybacks, mm. is it the vascular system? Yeah, yeah, that's right, 100%. So what it's called, it's called paravascular. And so these paravascular cellular networks that provide this interface between the body and the brain, uh, they're very tiny structures, and they're actually really hard to identify. And so we needed some advanced imaging to do that. And they found the cellular structures. We knew that glial cells were involved at some level. Like, let me put it this way. In 1921, this is how long it takes to figure this stuff out in science. In 1921, these two gentlemen by the name of Stern and Gauthier, they discovered the blood-brain barrier. It took us another 90 years to figure out how the brain may manage waste and, and get rid of it. Right. And it's all through the vascular system and the lymphatic system. So that's where these things take place in, in the body. Absolutely. So as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, please do. Like when we sleep, the vascular system around our brain actually expands. Mm -hmm. And as a result of the motion and the movement within that system, the glymphatic system kind of piggybacks onto it and uses the motion of that system to help remove the bad stuff 
the plaque, etc., out mm-hmm. of out of our brain. Am I right about that? Yeah. So there's a couple things in the lymphatic system. Number one, I just want to tell your listeners, it's really new. Yep. So what what we know about it is new. So things may change about what we're talking about a decade yep. from now. Yep. But right now, this is what we know. You know what? Why don't we just throw this into you know what happens if you start to get accumulation because you're not moving around properly, like you're mentioning movement. So there's a health risk associated with not doing that movement. And those health risks, and I'll I'll do the three huge ones right now, huge, because we have one third of the population aging, that boomer population, and they're going to be at risk. Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, other neurodegenerative diseases of the brain, and dementia looks like it, it's going to be in there somewhere. So that's what happened. So one of the things that people that work in these long-term care facilities will tell you, my mom did this for 42 years, is that the people that lose their mental capacity to self-regulate themselves and maintain like personal autonomy, yep. they don't do as well. And so that's all the diseases of like Alzheimer's disease and dementia, mild cognitive impairment. So if you want to recognize your kids and you want your kids, you know, to interact with you as you get older, there are some things that you can do that's emerging in the literature to protect your brain. And it literally is to increase the function of the lymphatic system to get rid of waste. Right. And so this is a roundabout way of saying, you know, the tonic philosophy is your health is all interconnected. The good night's sleep. Mm -hmm the physicality, the good diet, and and taking care of yourself is not only important for the obvious reasons, you know, like building muscle and getting around, but it impacts your cognitive abilities, it impacts Uh your emotional status, and that's why it's so important. So so let's talk about ways we can support the glymphatic system. Yeah. So... In the literature, so as recently as 2021, so this is last year, these papers are coming out now about lifestyle factors yep. and the glymphatic system. Okay, so it's really important for everybody to realize like this is super new, but it's something that we kind of already know when we eat right, sleep right, when we move right, and we moderate our alcohol consumption or other crappy stuff, we feel better and our minds are clearer. Well, it turns out there's a reason for that. If your brain has too much toxic waste clutter, you can't think properly, and there's too much. Here's the problem. It's neuroinflammation, and then you get accumulation of these things that some of your listeners are going to recognize, beta amyloid proteins and tau proteins in Alzheimer's disease. They're not getting cleared out of the brain. And then alpha-synuclein and Parkinson's disease, that's not getting cleared out of the brain. What's interesting about Parkinson's and Alzheimer's is that they're noticing a relationship with the gut. So when you tie all this together, here's all the things that are required for effective brain clearance of toxic waste. And it's like you said, every single thing is interconnected. So I'm going to list them all. There's, there's four that I want to go over really quickly. Sleep, that's number one. Vascular health is number two. And when I say vascular health, what the authors of the paper suggest is that this is actually dietary. So we go sleep, vascular health, as it pertains to eating clean, and exercise. That's that movement you were talking about. And then the new player now is low levels of alcohol. So 
Sleep. Let's go to that one first. Yep. When you have insomnia, short sleep, if you have pre-sleep arousal, you're on your phone, you don't get to sleep for 90 minutes, you're stressed, you don't sleep well, and you don't wake feeling rested, what happens is you actually have very tiny amounts of toxic waste accumulation in your brain that will aggregate over time. So the longer you go without sleeping soundly and have broken sleep over time in your lifetime and as an adult, the risk of having some mental brain issue is, is high. So that's one. Number two, you talked about the paravascular system, movement in the brain. Well, it turns out that what you eat is very helpful for modulating neuroinflammation and also the function and the ability of that lymphatic system to operate effectively. And I want to point out one health food that you can eat that seems to have a large role in decreasing the presentation of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's symptoms and, and the progression of it. And that is DHA. That's a type of fish oil, docosahexanoic acid. It usually comes with EPA, pentanoic acid, and you usually take those together in fish oil. Right. They seem to really help with that vascular health. Proving that the you know the old wives' tale that fish is, is brain food is actually Absolutely. 100%. is, is actually correct. Actually. Right. Low incidences, dementia, mild cognitive impairment, and Alzheimer's disease do exist in places where they have higher levels of fish exposure, so they eat more fish. Then the other two pieces, uh, Jamie, exercise. Yeah. Exercise seems to be incredibly protective for a whole bunch of things, but very specifically, because the lymphatic system is an exchange of two things interstitial fluid from the brain, cerebral spinal fluid, which is in and around your spine, that's where it goes. So when you exercise, you actually move those fluids around and you actually are very efficient at removing waste. So that's super important. And the last thing I'll say, low levels of alcohol. Yeah. Very low levels of alcohol that we see in the blue zones, one glass of something a day or one and a half, that very low level seems to increase glymphatic drainage. But high levels of alcohol, and this is very important, literally stops waste from leaving the brain. So hmm. sleep right, eat some really healthy food, especially stuff with DHA in it and fish oil, omega-3s. Get moving and don't drink too much. That will protect your brain or your brain's ability to remove waste. Fantastic advice, David. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. For more great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss hybrid yoga on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. 
For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Our next guest, Jelena De Silva, is a well-certified, passionate yoga teacher. Her love for yoga takes her across the GTA to teach at several studios and multiple clients. Her background in psychology and college athletics infuses her classes with a strong understanding of how mind and body function. Whether leading a large outdoor event, a classroom of yogis, or in the home of a client, her philosophy for teaching is simple. Teach with love, empathy, patience, and humility. Yoga is a journey, not a destination. And for more information, you can visit www.jelenayoga.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So you wrote an article for the magazine about hybrid yoga, and that's why you're here today. And uh, let's sort of get right to it. For those who don't know, what is hybrid yoga? So it is many things. It's kind of a, a blanket term that I've seen applied to different styles of movement or ways of approaching yoga practice. So like you'll have the basic kind of way of approaching yoga melded with another form of movement. Like for example, yoga lattes, yoga and Pilates put together, which to me sounds like a weird yoga drink, but that aside. Yeah. um, It sounds like something you have if you don't want to have lactose or something. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's gluten-free too. Or acro yoga, or when people combine things like putting puppies in a yoga class or goats in a yoga class and just melding different things into the mix. Okay. So for some, this is an issue. And, you know, these classes are controversial for some, not all. Can you explain why that might be? When I sit down to think about it, Well, for me personally, when I think of my yoga teacher training, what I really appreciated about it is that it took me back to the roots of yoga, which are based in Hinduism. And we were ensconced in studying the Bhavad Gita and the precepts of yoga, the yamas, the niyamas, which are instructions and guidelines on how to approach life. So there's these deeper spiritual roots. And what tends to happen when we blend different forms of movement is there is a little bit of a divorce between the spirituality of yoga um, and the physical aspects. Because for many people, they enter into yoga through the asana, through the physical movements. And that's how I found it. It's kind of like the gateway drug for most of us. And then hopefully you start to move towards the different limbs of yoga, be it the yamas, the niyamas, the meditation, those aspects of it. And when there are other physical forms of movement placed in there, it pulls us further and further away from the origins. So I came to yoga because I was spinning at a studio that kind of combined the two of them into Mm -hmm. one class, right? So I guess I kind of started in a hybrid fashion. And Mm -hmm. for me, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for the spirituality. For me, it was sort of the yoga aspects allowed me to recover from the spinning and the weight training that I was doing, you know, the stretching, the mindfulness, you know, the quietness of the yoga. Mm -hmm. And like my perspective is this, and I appreciate like I'm no yoga instructor, so I, I don't have the hours that you put in. It's kind of like it's a gateway. Right. Like if I were inclined, I'm not like I suppose in some ways I'm a spiritual person, but probably not as much compared to others. If I was inclined to want to go on a spiritual journey, the yoga movements might take me there. You know, like some of the quieter aspects, Shavasana, for example. And if I wanted to expand upon that, 
I might be inclined to read or you know go down that rabbit hole. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I, I think it's like the same thing as like the tonic brand. Like a lot of people start with health and wellness usually by through weight loss and exercise, and then from there they might branch out and do yoga, or they might you know I don't know what they might do. They might do mindfulness. They might even do energy healing. I don't know. It's I see it as a first step. Do you agree, or can you see it that way, or do you disagree? No, I you know I'm inclined to agree. You know I think that. Giving people the choice as to whether or not they want to dive into those areas of the practice is important. And I also think that for many people, coming to yoga is through the physical realm. And uh, it's tricky, right? Because another, another thing that tends to come from practicing yoga is a stepping away from a dualistic mindset where there's a sense of either or. Right. And you have to be willing to marry different worlds together. Like, for example, I know people who have struggled for years with fibromyalgia or joint issues, and the only form of yoga that is approachable for them is acro yoga because they're elevated and off of their joints. Yep. And I've known couples who have strengthened their, their bonds and deepened their trust by practicing acro yoga. Um, which is partner yoga, where you're working together. So to just negate the benefits of things that are blended together merely because they are blended, I think kind of defeats the purpose. And allowing things to evolve is important. And I think we can allow things to evolve while still honoring the roots of where they came from. Because to have yoga and a silo all on its own can get a little tricky because as our understanding of biomechanics and anatomy evolves, we understand that yoga needs things like weight training and Pilates to stabilize and strengthen the body so they can do things like handstands if you want to and downward facing dog, which is seen as uh, an initial resting pose. And if you start yoga, you know that downward dog is not a resting pose when you first start. It is not. It requires a great amount of core strength, wrist strength, all of those things. So yeah, I'm inclined to agree that there needs to be a softening, but also a sensitivity to the potentials for denying the roots of yoga. Okay. I'm not trying to put you in a jackpot, uh, <laughs> and I can go first if you want, but do you subscribe to the notion that like these hybrid yoga classes are a form of cultural appropriation? You know, I was thinking about that this morning, and... A part of me doesn't feel qualified enough to answer that. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do think it's a really sensitive subject, and I think it's one, I talk about this in the article, I think it's one that deserves further investigation. And I would want to include like people who are from a more of like a southeastern descent, and like how do they view these things? Because to me, when I see the complete negation of understanding the roots of yoga, that's when I get a little bit wary. But I also understand that there are benefits to offering different forms of movement within a yoga class. See, I think, I mean, whether it is or it isn't, an easy workaround would be like to not call these hybrid yoga classes yoga classes. Just say we're going to incorporate yogic movement and poses mm-hmm. within a new modality, right? And then you're not really calling it yoga. Nobody's fooled into believing that they're doing an ancient practice and aesthetic they're just sort of cherry picking the physicality of it and melding it into something else. Because I've seen like yoga classes for runners. And as you, you know, I know you're a, a former competitive athlete. Like, you know, there are strength classes and hit yoga classes, for example, 
are two that we didn't mention before that are also hybrid yoga classes, which mm-hmm. don't really follow the aesthetic at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a really, I think that is a good workaround to just stop trying to blanket terminology things with yoga. Yeah. And start to focus on, like you said, like the biomechanics that are more modern and just call it what it is. I think that's a good workaround. I would agree with that. Okay, so let's flip the argument. What are some of the reasons why somebody might, you know, benefit from a hybrid yoga class? I think a really basic answer is uh, time management. (laughs) People are looking for things that allow them to get the most bang for their buck, so to speak. Yeah where they can combine movements and mindfulness so that they can get it into their increasingly busy days. I think that's definitely one part of it that people are drawn to. Yeah. Can I throw one out there? Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking, you know, like for me, when I do a, like a movement for like years on end, sometimes it can get a little mundane, even though they're obviously poses that become, you know, you can strive to do poses that perhaps you couldn't do as a beginner, but mm-hmm. maybe just for a change up, like just to keep mm-hmm. yourself engaged, you know, to do something that incorporates another modality just might keep your interest level up. I don't know. You know, I would agree with that as someone who's taught beginner yoga before. Something that helps to pull people in is I'll, every once in a while I'll throw in kind of like a set of lunges right? or a little bit of Pilates movements that kind of pull people into their bodies warm up parts of the body that need to be warm and helps them to, like you said, like be a little more engaged. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's plenty of lunged type movements with the warrior poses to begin with, but I hear you. Any other arguments you might make in favor of hybrid yoga? I think, I think people feel inclined to be creative. There's people that are looking for niches within a very saturated market and they want to be able to stand out. So they're looking for ways to come across as a little bit more unique. Right. From the standpoint of people that have studied anatomy and have watched the progression of our understanding of how the body works, they see it as integral to include things like functional range conditioning or Pilates or, you know, the understanding of histology into their practice. And from a personal standpoint, that's something that I've definitely seen uh, a benefit from is bringing those understandings of the body into the practice. Okay, we have time for one last quick question. Who might benefit from taking a a hybrid yoga class? I think if you're a little bit wary of yoga and you want something to kind of soften your entry, then doing something with a form of movement that you're already familiar with, kind of like yourself when you started the spin class, like you've done spinning and then the yoga was there as an add-on. It's a nice way for people to kind of ease into yoga if they are a little bit kind of wary of it and don't know what to expect. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Melissa Urban, Dr. David Nelson, ND, and Jelena Da Silva. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. 
or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.